Dear Abby, when my husband and I moved into our new house, I was thrilled to find out the family living across the street had a seven-year-old, Elizabeth, the same age as our daughter, Emily. The parents were also wonderful in welcoming us to the neighborhood. I admit, I had fantasies of a repeat of my own childhood, where my best friend lived on the same block and our parents often socialized. Then Elizabeth's parents invited us to their church, and we turned them down, making it clear we weren't interested. Suddenly, they became politely distant neighbors. I've looked into their church and found out it's fiercely evangelical. Befriending people to recruit them to the church is even mentioned on the church's website. I would be fine with the polite distance between us now, as I find their behavior toward us, i.e., their church's methods to gain members, offensive and dishonest. Except that Emily is still getting invitations to play with Elizabeth. I have no doubt that Elizabeth's parents will proselytize to our daughter against our wishes. I have considered letting the girls play at our house only, at our house only, under my supervision. But the church website also mentioned teaching children to share their beliefs. I feel terrible looking at a seven-year-old with suspicion, but I don't want Emily exposed to this. I have no problem telling Elizabeth's parents that I feel our values are not compatible and the girls can't play anymore. But how do I explain to Emily that Elizabeth is not her friend? Signed, don't want to disappoint my daughter. Well, how do you think Abby responded to this letter? Any number of ways, right? I was surprised at the response. It's really good. Dear, don't want to disappoint my daughter. I think Elizabeth and Emily can still be friends. And in fact, I urge you to allow them to continue to play together for as long as they are interested in doing so. The world is full of people who don't share your beliefs. It simply isn't possible for even a, or even a good idea to shield your child from all of them. And even if Elizabeth's parents or seven-year-old Elizabeth herself proselytize, Emily will not be converted by them. She might come home asking questions about what she's been told by the evangelists across the street. But that's all to the good. It gives you an opportunity to talk to your child about different people's beliefs. Which is a good thing for her to know about. It's a big world. And if you want to instill in your child the ideas about that big world that matter to you, and that you hope she'll share as she grows up, the way to do it isn't by keeping her from learning that others think differently. Another bonus, talking to her about such matters without being disdainful, modeling critical thinking that isn't mean-spirited, will be good for you as well as for her. Plus, letting her know that spending time with and enjoying the company of those who don't see things exactly as we do will help her grow up to be a more tolerant and open-hearted, open-minded person, which I'm sure is what you want for her. This advice, by the way, is not purely abstract. When my child was young, we too had evangelicals living across the street with a daughter who was only a year younger than mine. I can't tell you how many times my child and I had to revisit the conversation about how Daisy had told her that we were going to hell because we didn't believe in Jesus, or announced that she wasn't allowed to play with my daughter's Ouija board because it was the devil's work. 
My daughter learned to cheerfully tell Daisy, well, my family doesn't believe that. Daisy and my daughter played together nearly every day after school and on weekends for years. And while the two kids grew apart by the time they were in high school, they are still on friendly terms. I think that early friendship did both good. To tell you the truth, exposing both the ideas and beliefs and non-beliefs they would otherwise not have learned about for a long time. And by the way, I kept my polite distance from the parents, as did they from me. Well, this Dear Abby letter, I think, is an accurate picture of our lives as Christians who share the good news of Jesus, or try to, anyways. Our values are not compatible with some people's, and you know this already. You've invited your kids' friends' parents to church, and they made it clear to you that they were not interested. It begs the question, though, what values could we Christians have that some people find incompatible with their own? Doesn't everyone want to lead a peaceful, quiet life, as Paul says in his first letter to Timothy? What about having dignity in every way? Doesn't that sound like a universal value? And those, who, those are just two things from our reading today. If we back up to last Sunday's reading from 1 Timothy, the first chapter, we have love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. Man, that sounds like the drum the whole world is wanting to beat to. And it's hard to imagine Emily's mom or anyone else having family values compatible with physically abusing your parents, murder, sexual abuse, sex slavery, lying, and men practicing homosexuality. Oops. My guess is, number six is one of the incompatible values for Emily's mother. Well, five out of six ain't bad. But if we look in chapter two of our reading today, we see another Christian value which doesn't sound like it complements women very well. And this might also offend your kids' friends' parents. It even offends some Christians. I was told last Sunday by someone who shook my hand as they were walking out the door, I'm not a fan of that reading from Timothy. Fair enough. It's hard to hear God has a different opinion about some things that we think are good and wonderful. But if you plan on telling me you're not a fan of this reading from Timothy, well, let's give Paul a chance first, okay, and see what he's saying here. Look, the entire letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy, the whole letter is a warning to Timothy, who is a young pastor and traveler with Paul on many adventures, but it's also a warning to the church. It has mostly to do with warning them against false teachers. People who would hear the scriptures and hear the readings of Paul and Timothy and shake their heads in agreement and say, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds great. It's all good. And then as soon as Paul and Timothy leave, go on their way, these teachers start teaching something else. Values that are incompatible with what Paul taught. So the letter is a warning to watch out for these guys who are spouting things contrary to healthy teaching. Within this warning, this letter also contains assurances that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. 
Well, that's good because that's us, right? <laughs> that's all people throughout all time and places. Another thing is that we should pray for all people and give thanks to, to God as well. These are the prayers of the church, which we speak in our worship today. Popular opinion today is the church is exclusive. You know, we exclude people from this or that. But in reality, we're inclusive in that we pray for those who aren't just our enemies, but also for those who are indifferent to us and even those whose values are incompatible with ours. Paul included public officials in his prayers for the church. He even included Emperor Nero, enemy number one of the church in his prayers. All people are not saved, but we pray for all people that they would be saved. Paul is sound in his doctrine. There is one God. He saves both Jews and Gentiles through faith. Faith he gives them through his Holy Spirit. Jesus willingly gave his life as the ransom for all people who are held captive by sin and death. That was you and me before we were baptized. And accordingly, Paul says, this is a message that must be proclaimed and taught. This is why we Christians are evangelical. It means to bring the good news of Jesus to people. It's not dishonest for a church to encourage their members to share the gospel of Jesus. That's what we do. It's just not a message everyone wants to hear, as we have heard from Dear Abby. What if, though? What if Emily's mother had accepted that the friendly evangelist's invitation to go to their church? And she goes. And she sees and hears people which, on the one hand, appear to be concerned about the poor, the needy, widows, orphans, people being treated unjustly, the oppressed, the homeless, immigrants, and so forth. Yet on the other hand, the women in this church appear to be putting on a show for themselves with their behavior and their appearance. In other words, their outward expression doesn't seem to reflect the inner values the organization seems to profess. That could be a problem, couldn't it? It could be a stumbling block for those who might consider Jesus a person of value to follow. Paul certainly thought this was a problem in the first century. He must have visited some groups of, uh, groups of people. Elaborate hairstyles and bling everywhere on the body was a sign back then of vanity and promiscuity. Rich people were often that way, and rich people were joining the church, along with the oppressed, the poor, the needy, and everyone. So Paul's just saying, he's just saying, have some self-control, will you, please? Adorn godliness rather than expensive stuff, because you may be sending a mixed message here or adding some confusion to the mix. It could have just as well been sound apostolic advice for the men as well. But it would seem some women Paul encountered on his missionary travels were a bit over the top or something. Excessive in what he viewed as a distraction from the gospel and the mission of the church. Value can be found in that too, right? But first of all, let our prayers and thanksgivings be made for all people. 
for our civic leaders, for those whose values are incompatible with God's, that we may lead a peaceful, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I think those values are compatible with almost anyone's. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ, who died for you, for me, and for all people, to clear the debt of sin, make a way to eternal life. Amen.